redefining narratives, and shifting perspectives. This is Story Noir. Hello, and welcome to Chapter 16 of the Story Noir podcast. I'm your host, Opal, and I'll be facilitating a conversation with Miss Takara Nicole I had to give out the whole government name, Bound- founder of Vault of Steel, also known as VOS, and a brand new friend of mine. We met, I just want to say it was cosmically aligned. You know, we love the internet. Uh, the story always goes, is like meeting, you know, strangers on the internet. It's a little bit safer nowadays than it, you know, was back in the day. However, this has blossomed into an amazing conversation. Our first conversation that we had ended with a promise that we wanted to work together. And so this is it in real time. So I'm very, very excited. We're going to get into some really, really juicy things. Uh, This is going to be a very much spirit-led conversation in the sense that there are just a lot of themes, a lot of intersections, and a lot of commonalities between both of us, notwithstanding that we have pretty separate but very similar childhood experiences. And so you will look at the both of us and be like, man, they've had very different life experiences. What do they have in common besides, you know, being beautiful Black business owners? But you would look at us and be like, hmm, what do they have in common? But you're going to find that out today during this chapter. So it's a good one. Strap your seatbelts in, get your popcorn, get your beverage of choice. And without further ado, please welcome Miss Takara to the podcast. Ah! I am so excited. What an intro. Thank you so very much. I always say that it's always, 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 always an honor when someone sees something that you're doing um, and they say, hey, let's connect, let's collaborate. Um, It says a lot to um, the person that reaches out to me. Um, So just thank you for your time, your energy, and just knowing the timing of God and just this is perfect for both of us. So thank you so much. Oh, I'm so excited. And so tell me about the identity architect and just figuring out who who is Miss VOS. How do we get how do I get into the vault <laughs> of steel and figure out what is beneath the surface? Because you have that tough exterior, but I know you know you have that warm, you know, heart on the inside. So tell me a little bit about yeah. both sides of those spectrum and how you got to um become who you are today, a little bit of background. Right, I love all of this. Um, God is very intentional. I'll start with that. He knows who we're gonna become before we actually walk into it. And so I remember living in Champaign, Illinois at the time and I was on my way home and I drove the highway so often so I know exactly what exits were what, you know. Mm-hmm. 283 was this city, get off here, do this. Blah, Which blah, pothole blah. was where? Oh my gosh, yes, yeah, speeding traps, all that good stuff, right? And so I remember God showing me um, boss. And I was like, okay, what does this mean? So my last name's Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E. And I am the last Steele woman in my family. And so I wanted to create a legacy where I could honor whoever God had me to marry. I know who that man is now, um, but didn't know at the time. And I didn't want to hyphenate my name. And so Vault of Steel is boss. And so um, it's my way of carrying on my legacy within my family's name. 
and uh, I've built what God deems as an empire. I'm truly honored to continue to do his work. So my logo, let's talk about that. The logo is literally a vault with fire in it. And so what God showed me is that he has equipped me to be able to ignite the fire within his people, um, their vaults, to help them to monetize their genius and to be everything that he has called them to be. So the Identity Architect came about in 2018. It started as the Identity Coach. So I'm sure you guys can all relate to what I'm getting ready to say. Have you ever said something and you realize you said it and you're like, and you wish that you can like take those words and put them back in your mouth because now they've been released? Well, that's what- Goodness, yes. Right? (laughs) That's what happened. And so I was called the Identity Coach at that time. And my coach at the time said, this is pretty good. However, there's going to come a time where everybody is using the word coach. Look where we are now, right? This happened in 2018 where, yeah, look where we are now. It's evolving. Absolutely. And so God gave me the identity architect. And what God did was he showed me that I've had various jobs and various capacities to help me to understand that I have a gift to help people build. And then one of my jobs, I used to manage student housing development. So I was a part of that whole entire process. And so in order to lay cement, it has to be at least 32 degrees. And when you think of cement, you think of foundation. And so if you're, if there's a crack in your foundation, there's no way you can build. And so I help my clients to mend those cracks in their foundation so they can build whoever it is or whatever it is that God told them to be. So that's a little bit about the identity architect. Man. Okay. So there are two pillars that I kind of want to go into. So the part about having that solid foundation and then also having that legacy. And so when I think of legacy, you think about, I guess this isn't the greatest example, but like the the royal family for what it's worth, <laughs> minus the genocide and whatnot, but like the legacy of like, I come from this illustrious gold and glitz and glam. And so that's how I typically would think of one, you yeah. know, the average person would think of one's legacy. However, when thinking about, you know, an origin story, a lot of time people have a lot of shame within it because it's like, yeah. I don't necessarily grow up with the white picket fence. I didn't necessarily have right. that, that two parent family. So what legacy do I come from? What legacy am yeah. I living in? And so you've spoken very openly about your origin story in the sense that um, one of your parents was incarcerated. You had a bonus parent, all of those things, which we'll um, unpack, but when looking back on it, it could be a, a point of potentially being ashamed, but you used it as a point of empowerment. And so how did you come to that conclusion today? And have you always felt empowered by said legacy, notwithstanding the foundation or lack thereof um, that you started from? So longest question in the freaking world. I'm going to let you sit with it for a minute and then reflect because that, yeah, that was a really long question. I got you. Um, I love questions like this because a lot of times we see a person and we don't know their story. We don't know their journey. Um, and I don't mind telling mine because I feel that if I can share my story and my journey, I'm helping someone else. Um, and it wasn't always like that. I did live in a place of shame for a very long time. Um, I was ashamed that I was the fourth out of 22 kids when I found that out. I'm like, oh my God. Let's repeat that. Because I knew that, but hold, that's not something we just gloss over. Number four of, of two or 20, 22? 22. Talk about a 23 and me. They need to sponsor you, girl. 
Listen, if we can get that, listen, anybody from 23andMe listening right now, listen, I'm all for the sponsorship because I would love to be able to know who my siblings are without going on Maury. So let's make that happen. Uh, Yeah. So, okay, number four of 22. And so did you grow up with this army of 22 soldiers to protect you? Or how did you find out all 22 siblings? Because let's get into it. Yeah, no. Um. I believe sharing your story helps somebody else. And so I am my mother's only child. Um, So I grew up as an only child. Um, I grew up with um, a lot of um, support. I had my next door neighbors who were amazing. My babysitter had kids. So I was always around kids, but I had those moments where I was by myself. So I didn't really start meeting my siblings until 2011. Mm. And that was via Facebook. Um, But my dad would write me. Listen, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop something on your show that I have not talked about yet. So please, uh, yeah, I'm excited. So one of the things that I had to really um, deal with was the shame. Um, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, um, and that and it was a it was between middle and upper class neighborhood. It was very nice back and then for reference where and what time period just so for yeah. folks the cerebral folks where what, no, take, take me through that childhood what, through is Takara's childhood what was childhood? what was little yeah. navigating and what did that no. look like in sure. this predominantly white neighborhood absolutely so um i lived in frankfurt illinois it's a southwest a southwest suburb of chicago um my my grandparents is who i live with so my grandparents and my mom uh, my dad um, like I said, incarcerated, even to this day, he's in prison for life. And so um, I always grew up with other father figures. Uh, my stepdad was present from the time I was three up, but my mom was very um, protective of me. And she was very wise on how she brought him around. So I did, I did appreciate that, but it also became a hindrance as well, because there was other things that yeah, I wish that he would have told me and showed me earlier that I probably wouldn't have gotten myself into um, and tapping into those statistics that fatherless daughters are this, that, <laughs> that I went down that pathway for a while, very promiscuous at an early age. But anyways, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. And so I was the only black person in school until I went off to college. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And when, when I say experience. that, what an experience. And when I say that, um, well, I'll say when I went out of co- when I went out to college, I, I was around more black people. I'll mm-hmm. say this. And what I year gra- was this? Sorry. No, you're fine. I graduated high school in 2000. Okay. So my graduating class was 1,057 kids. Maybe five of us were black out of that 1,057. That's, um, what? Yes. What? Never had a black teacher until I went off to college. Wow. And so where did you, was your university choice intentional um, wanting more community or was it just like, Hey, this is the best school? No, it was very intentional. So I've always wanted to go to the university of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. My guidance counselor in high school told me I wouldn't be able to get in because my grades weren't where they needed them to be. It was like, you know, three point, whatever, whatever. Um, I was very close. And then she said, well, you might be able to get in because you're black. Shout right. out affirmative action nowadays, but shout you know. out. Right? <laughs> so during during this time, my next door neighbors were members of the KKK. They would burn swastikas in our yard. They would do all kinds of things, call us black monkeys, that other N word, um, chase me around on my bike as a little girl, um, throw chicken bones in our yard. Um, they they made themselves known, and so when we we were the first ones on the block, and so um. 
the people that lived next door, um, they had a death in the family. They moved. We got these new neighbors. They were very quiet for the first three, four years. And then all of a sudden, we knew that they were members of the KKK. Um, so we had to put up a fence. Um, they would put throw chicken bones in our yard. Um, they would just be really obnoxious. We had to put security cameras on our house. Um, so the end result was taking them to court. And so they had to pay us $375,000 or move, and they moved. And, and mind y'all, this was in the 21st century. This isn't so far removed of no. happening with granddaddy and great no. grand. Like this is modern yeah. day stuff. So modern just, day stuff. Just it's, for emphasis. It's real. So let's, let's unpack what I was going through as a kid. Yeah. So fatherless daughter mm-hmm. trying to figure out life in a neighborhood where I was the only black thing there. Um, my name is Takara, which I t- threatened my mom so many times to change my name because I'm like, it's not Katie. It's not Kathy. It's not Karen. What were you thinking? And so on the first day of school, teachers chopping up my name, dare have a substitute teacher. They're chopping up my name. It was just embarrassing. It was hard. Um, but at the same time, I was loved. I was nurtured. I had neighbors who loved me, who didn't see me for being a black girl. They saw me for being a little kid who took me in. Um, So there was so many nuggets that God was so strategic about putting in my life to where I was able to pull on those as an adult and to realize that my dad not being in my life was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And it took me a while to get there because I was heading down that road. I lost my virginity at a very young age. I was 14. I was very promiscuous, Um, even as an adult, promiscuous, Mm. uh, looking for love, searching for that love. Yeah, embodying Um, that. Because I would say, you know, promiscuity, I I would push back a little bit in the sense that you were exploring, but it was in the wrong context because, you know, sexuality and sensuality is very important to be empowered by it. But to give it away in that sense, when you're searching for something that's definitely something I can resonate on. So I Real. see both ends of the spectrum yeah. of where you're coming from. So looking at those stats mm-hmm. but then at the statistics, being the first one in my family to go off to college, yep. being the first one in my family to start a business, mm-hmm. being the first one in my family to have a master's degree, you know, like all these things that were first. So I could have went down this road, but dot, dot, dot. Right. Um, And so I thank God for the community that he has placed around me and me. I was just having a conversation with my boyfriend about this yesterday. Um, I'm thankful my experiences didn't make me prejudiced. I'm thankful that my experiences taught me that color is just color. We all have history behind our color, but do not let that stop you from getting to know people because of their color. Oh, absolutely. And I had to learn that because I was teased. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. My my family in the South, oh, you talk white. Please let me know where, where there's a language that says white. I hear you. Yeah, they, I understand. Oh, I understand yeah. you. So, you know, me being able to be as free as I am talking about my childhood and those things, um, I want to be able to help somebody else. Um, so you asked a really great question. Um, I started figuring out who my siblings were through my dad's jail letters. He would talk about them, you know, here and there. Um, I would ask my mom. My mom would know little information about them. Um, so backstory, we lived 
near Chicago. Um, I was conceived in Birmingham, Alabama. So all my siblings are from the South um, or somewhere around there. Um, my dad moved to different penitentiaries, like it was changing underwear. Um, I remember when I was born in 1982, he was in the Kentucky, Kentucky penitentiary. So, um, and he, he calls me his love child. He calls me the one that is the one that's different. Um, I hated my dad and he knows I hated him. I was very vocal. Um, there was no shame in my hate. There was no embarrassment in my hate. I hated him. I called him the sperm donor for a long time. Um, I didn't understand why he didn't want to be in my life. Um, and a lot of fatherless children, especially daughters, uh, we blame ourselves. And, it, and it's an ugly thing, but that's all we have to lean on if the conversations aren't being fostered to let us know what was really going on. Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit about, I mean, and like I said, when I tell you, I, I'm working on my book, um, so it's just volume one and I'm going to get you the title. Cause I always jack it up and I, and because I've had the book cover for probably about two years now, I just didn't, it wasn't time to write it. And so, um, it's my brand name, which is Takara Nicole. And um, it's called, as it's pulling up very slowly, Treasure, Truth, and Triumph. So Takara in Japanese means treasure. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. You are a treasure. I am a treasure. My mom did something right because, baby, I said, I'm changing that name. I don't know what the heck you were thinking. Like, I don't know what you were smoking back then to give me a name like Takara and I'm growing up around these white girls and these names are like you just set me up for failure um but here I am 41 about to be 42 still love my name very very special it, it was an Avon perfume that my mom loved back in the 80s that's what Ooh, she it's such a like classic 80s kind of story that I know right comes through <laughs> so so we love to see it I know, right? When God gave me Treasure, Triumph, Truth, Volume 1, I knew that would be the series that I would start writing my book um, and sharing my story. So treasure, of course, Takara means treasure in Japanese. Um, It's the truth, me telling the raw, uh, unaltered truth, and then how I triumph. Um, When I was introduced to that word, it was during my domestic violence relationship and how I really was able to get out of that. So. I'm a DV survivor for over 20 years now. Um, you, you live to tell it and you embody it and you're so open with it. Uh, I, I'm open with everything because I had to divorce shame. That's a big I thing. Had, I had to. And um, I remember myself saying, I'll never be in a div- in a DV situation. I would watch Jerry Springer. And I'll just show- walk away. Uh, those women, they need to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Then they'll learn. And how many, how many times? Yeah, no, I've, I've heard a lot of those low vibrational. Such <laughs> a hypocrite. It's terrible. No, I hear you. I was you. horrible. I was just in, and I went through it and God allowed for me to live through it. And uh, my abuser, um, he taught me more than he could, than he than he'll ever realize. I realize how strong I am. And uh, a vault of steel. How could you not be a steel? Vault of steel. That part. So how uh, 
God is the, <laughs> the master puzzle piece. Yes. Like, yes. Takes these things and 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 I'm very visual and I typically can see like this wooden table with all these pieces of my life. And when one slides in, I can see the bigger picture. And I'm just so thankful of the God that we serve that is so mindful of us that he won't let us give up. Oh, I hear you. And so I wanted to segue because of course, again, I I keep using the term um, spirit led. And of course you're a woman of the church, a woman of God in the sense. Um, So I wanted to talk about the Kirk Franklin documentary, which is called Father's Day. Um, I've watched it. I'm aware that you have not watched it. I'm not going to give any super big spoilers. However, it's a huge theme. I think context wise, which we'll get into um, talking about family separation within the black church specifically in the ways that we don't, there's there's a lot of shame within, yeah. you know, again, being fatherless and who could be the daddy and who's this and who's that. That's a little bit about um, what Kirk was experiencing in the sense that he found his biological father. They had their whole reunification journey. And so for you growing up in the church, and again, you, you use the term fatherless, but I know again, and, and that's, that's by your choice. Um, I've heard it in both the positive and the negative context, but if you're okay with using it in the positive, that that's yeah. great. So being fatherless and growing up within the church, A, how did your mom kind of navigate that? And then B, as a little girl, how did you kind of, you know, stand tall when it was like, oh, your daddy's in jail? Okay. Like where y'all, where y'all real dad at? Like th- there seems to be a lot of you know, a lot of things to, to have to navigate with that. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I love I love the transparency where we're walking down that road. So my mom was a single parent, right? So my mom worked two jobs most of the time. So when we went to church, it was mostly for holidays. Um, that was the only free time she had. Um, And so we went to a church that was very welcoming to us. Um, They never made us feel horrible or dumb or stupid or made my mom feel like that per se um, about being a single mom. Um, It didn't come up much at all. Um, So that was a blessing. However, um, it did come up for me because Mm -hmm. I would see other kids with their parents um, and I would ask questions to my mom, um, because my dad would <clears throat> say often, oh, I'm getting out. And when I get out, I'm going to come and da, da, da. And I would hold on to those words so hard. And my mom was the one like, he's not coming, baby. He's not. And I'd be upset. Um, and I'd be looking forward to spending that time with him, whether it's going to church or whatever, you know, just having my dad around. Um, but the place where we worshiped, they never melt, made us feel shameful. Um, my mom and I, I remember when we joined the church, we got baptized. They were, you know, always very supportive. Now, what I will say is that I envied some of the parents that were there to support their kids. And that was tough because that would send me down or I wouldn't even say down. I would say on a hamster wheel trying to figure out what was wrong with me that I couldn't have what someone else had. And that's tough. 
especially like and it, the toughness of it I feel evolves like it's different when you're in the schoolyard than when you're in middle school then when you start to grow up in high school like and then of course in adulthood like that narrative changes and evolves so I, I definitely hear you oh, oh trauma informed very <laughs> much so and so when I turned 16 I had a friend of mine um, she was one of the other black girls in my in my school. So mm-hmm. remember, I said there was about five of us. We got to stick together. We had to stick together, right? And so she's like, "Let's go to church." And I'm mm-hmm. like, "I'm 16. Mm-hmm. Oh, church, oh, mm-hmm. good, straight." And I told her probably about two years ago that she saved my life. Wow! Because being able to go to church because my mom couldn't. Mm-hmm. I got my grandparents weren't on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, for whatever their reasons were. Um, but at 16 is when I started speaking in tongues. I um, got set on fire learning the things of God. Wow. Um, and able to kind of understand my path with my dad even better by going. Mm-hmm. It, I think it was going within, like figuring out who, because looking at your father and unpacking him is in essence unpacking who you are as well. So it's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, mind, body, and spirit. I feel, and the crazy part is, I and I still do. I love the things of God. Yes, and I didn't understand where that passion came from. So imagine I'm growing up with my mom's family, so I'm not seeing that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until after 2011 when I started to get to know my siblings. You ready for this? Ministry flows on my dad's side of the family, fivefold, all on my dad's side including my dad oh right right well there you go ordained minister (laughs) period but a felon and a criminal make it make sense you know so was jesus so you know (laughs) so so no i i that's and again it's it's that dna it's that foundation of like who we are no matter what we end up building on that foundation that's where really that's where we start from that's what we build upon and so I think that that's important you know to embody that fully and so I I wanted to speak to another element um I had said the term trauma-informed which um means you know a myriad of things but it I think for me what it means is that you have that experience you know again I use the word trauma in the sense of like because it is inherently a trauma be it parental separation be it you know dv all of the things yes but you being in the social workspace have that understanding and that context and that nuance when even though you yourself weren't in the foster care or adoptive system you understand what people who are and were like myself deal with so being fatherless in the sense double whammy in the sense of like i ain't got my mama my daddy my cousin much like Kirk Franklin spoke about in the documentary, I didn't, you know, he grew up with no family. He grew up alone because of that family separation. And so for you, do you apply that knowledge of understanding and kind of empathizing with what the youth that you work with are going through in the sense of like, where's my mama? Where's my daddy? Where's my grandma? Because I think you have that experience. So tell me how that landed with you. I love it. So um, I used to work for the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services for seven years. Um, and now I'm here in Nebraska and I work for a nonprofit agency where I'm a supervisor, um, a regional supervisor, and I work with dads to become better dads. That's my job. 
Um, so whether they're incarcerated, and right, whether they're talk in the- about embodying, talk about embodying, right? So one of the things that I said, and Opal, I think this is really interesting that we're having this interview on this day. Um, this day, four years ago, was my last day working for the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services when mm-hmm. I heard God to tell me it was time for me to go. And I didn't know what that looked like, but God literally used me to be a vessel to help um, be a caregiver to to people in my family, as well as my boyfriend's family for three years. Mm. And so when I prayed to God, I said, God, when it's time for me to go back to work, I needed to be in alignment and with the purpose that you created me to be. And here I am working with dads to better engage with their kids, whether they're incarcerated or in the community. And he'll use you in your purpose. Like who, like the job was made for you literally and figuratively, I assume. Literally. Um, And that's going to be in my book. I'm going to talk about that as well, because it's when God says go and you say, I don't know what you're doing. And when you say, okay, I trust you. And he says, well, do you really? And you say, yeah. And he says, I'm going to make all things new. You don't know what that's going to look like. Like you want to take the wheel and be like, Jesus, I know you can do anything, but this is scary up through here. I'd rather not do that. And when I tell you it's been such a journey and continues to be a journey where I'm able to apply all that God has given me, not just in my job, but in a new city, I'm able to look at things differently. I see my personal growth. Um, I'm able to come on podcasts like this to be able to share with other people unapologetically. So openly, yes. So openly, because I'm free, I'm healed, I'm set free. I know who I am. And everything that I've been through has simply been a part of my journey and my story. And I get it. And you can't keep that stuff in. You got to share. Absolutely. Or else you'll start to feel sick on the inside. I, I, feel, I think us as the, the people, the, the messengers, if you will, um, tell me if you have something on your heart and you don't like share it, do you literally feel start to feel sick on the inside? Because that's how I feel. I, my stomach will start hurting. Um, sometimes my lower back will start hurting. Yeah. And my shoulders will hurt too. It's, so I, I yeah. feel conviction if yeah, I don't. It's, and it's wild. And so for those who know, know, you know, you know. Um, and so I also wanted to leave space to see if you had any questions for me, because I know I've thrown out my, you know, word ah! salad questions, you know, asking yeah. all kinds of things. Um, so, and so, yeah, let me hold space. It doesn't have to necessarily be super serious, you know, no. how whatever comes to mind, but I do want to give space for that. First of all, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to share um, for those that want to talk about who they are and share their story. And they're just like, I can't. Yes, you can. There's people who are waiting to hear it. Um, I have books that I've, well, I have a book that I've written on um, my DV situation. Oh, hold on. Let me think. Uh, yeah. My DV stories in two books. Um, my fatherless daughter story is in two books. One being a children's book, one being an anthology that I created. Y'all better get into it. Link in no. the show, link in the show notes, by the way. Okay. Link in the show notes, go get your books. And it's really powerful to be able to, um, be in a place and space that once that caused you tons of pain, but now it's your purpose and your destiny. So one thing that I want to commend you, Opal, is creating this space for us to be able to come and share with others um, because it's not always easy to 
figure out how to build that pathway to be able to share your story. So podcasts are so much needed. Um, live stream show are so needed. And I, now I'm speaking from my publisher hat. Um, and we didn't even get into that. Yeah, oh, we're going to have a part two. I'm, I'm excited to come two. into the vault of steel and, <laughs> and hear what you have to ask me. Because yeah, and like I said, yeah. all the information will be um, in the notes. But oh, of course, I... I think that having this platform, it's A, as a way for people to learn more, learn more about um, the entrepreneurs that are in our community, but to yeah. not have it just be like a promo platform. I did right. not want that. That was not my intention. I want the story noir, the part of the story that you don't necessarily see. You would see you as, again, this beautiful, bright being and have no idea that you've had to write prison letters before and had have had to put money on people's books i'm sure you know how to do it put the credit card in pay the service fee all the things like you know yeah, i don't like so it. Ex- it. it's, it's terrible but in the sense of like huh you wouldn't necessarily assume that of like when you think of like a business owner but those kinds of skills and having that well-rounded knowledge is what makes you who you are and in yeah. your essence. And so that's really the intention of having these sorts of conversations um, on my platform. And I'm really glad that you're, you're able to see that. So thank you're you so for dope. reflecting. I, yeah, no, you're so dope. And what I love is that you, it's a safe space. Um, very, very, very safe. One of the things that I have a question for you is story nor where does that come from? What does it mean to you? Oh my goodness. Yes. I love answering that question. So the first part of a um, story is again, figuring out your own respective story and your narrative. So the whole, as you had said in the um, introduction, and I'm very intentional with it, it's not just a tagline, redefining narratives and shifting perspectives. And so with that, it's redefining what you might have thought was normal before but then shift coming away from that conversation with a shifted perspective, that light bulb moment of like, damn, I had never thought about that before. That's really interesting. And so it's that that noir part, that shadow part. And so the noir is twofold. It's the shadow part that you wouldn't necessarily have seen before. And the noir because I'm a black person. <laughs> and so, and that's very important within my story. That's a very important element. My blackness is pretty much, you know, my foundation. So you know, it has an evolving kind of um, meaning, but that's really the baseline of what um, that represents. So, yeah. I love that. I love that. And so my other question is, when are you going to take that leap into authorship? Because you're full and there's so much that people can learn from you. Yeah. And because your story and your journey um, is majorly needed especially within the foster care system right now thank you Um, to answer that honestly I'm I'm open right now um I think with this season in my life very much within the collaboration space um really vamping up story noir um I think right now as we head into the fall I took a bit of a break in the summer but now um with this new fruit coming um coming to I'm very much open so now is the time to Cara take me in I'm willing to to write my story and to redefine my narrative and just my perspective and so yeah for myself I can't wait for I any aspiring people yes. who need um that accountability definitely chat with Sakara because she's definitely oh. your girl and so um I want to clarify do you offer virtual services for folks who aren't in Nebraska as well okay yes. so it's, it's worldwide clients. 
all you over. Plants all over. Okay, amazing. Yeah. So that that partnership, you're you're hearing it live, folks, live and direct. This isn't a sales pitch. This is real life. And so, yeah. um, yeah, I think that that's a beautiful um way to to scale one's offering. So you and I will talk. We're gonna we'll we'll be in the DMs, but. Um, anything as we as we wrap up the um, episode I wanted to make sure that you got everything off of your chest if you wanted to leave the listeners with any um, last gems I want to give that time for you right now I want you guys to really lean into everything that Opal is doing because the version of her that you see right now is not the version of her that you're going to see in 2024, 2025, 2026. She is in such a season of transition. And I, you guys tap in now because this journey that she takes people on is not just for me. It's not just for you. It's she's, she's tapping into her purpose. And so if you want to collide with someone that is on purpose for purpose, wanting to capture that person's story in the form of getting on a podcast and beyond, because I see some things on her that I have not said to her yet. And you guys will see them come to fruition. She is the woman. And so what I really want to leave with is I say, live a life on purpose for purpose every single day. Do not let a day go by where you're not walking out your God-given purpose or your spiritual purpose or whatever you believe in purpose because people need what you have. It sounds like a cliche, but it really isn't. People need what you have. So stop discounting the things that you have gone through that are continuously making who you are because we're always on the potter's wheel. We never stop growing. We never stop learning. We never stop moving. Hop on the train, call you and go. (laughs) As as the kids say, get into it. Oh, that's okay. what they say now. Get into it. No, it's 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 funny, but yes, it's true. It's like get into it, you know. Um, so I really appreciate that, Sakara. Like I said, I'm gonna put all of your information into the show notes. But this has been a wonderful conversation. One of, like I said, one of many to come. And yeah. so, um, make sure you interact by reading your books. Keep in contact with. Um, your Facebook page, LinkedIn, Instagram, all of the things, which will also be in the show notes. But without anything else, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Till next time. Thank you all for listening.